From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Mimi Gerges. This is Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm Mimi Gerges. NASA's Inspector General says the agency's goal of a 2024 lunar landing is not feasible. The IG office reports that NASA's next-generation spacesuits won't be ready until 2025 at the earliest. Other delays for the moon landing project include a lack of funding and impacts from the pandemic. The White House directed NASA to return astronauts to the moon by 2024 as part of its Artemis program. The Coast Guard and the National Guard will follow the Pentagon's lead for mandating the COVID-19 vaccine. About half a million service members would need to get vaccinated. DOD says it will seek presidential approval to require all military personnel to get the vaccine by mid-September. President Biden says he will support the mandate. Federal agencies have 60 days to identify all critical software at their offices. A new White House memorandum says agencies have to implement security measures within the next year. The White House also says agencies must follow updates from NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, to protect critical software. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, has a new initiative to defend against critical cyber threats. The purpose of the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, or JCDC, is to implement a comprehensive plan to address cyber risks. Retired Air Force General Brigadier General Greg Tuhill is director of the CERT division at the Software Engineering Institute. He's the former Federal Chief Information Security Officer. General, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mimi. Great to be with you. What do you think of this new effort to create a JCDC? Well, I think this is a, a welcome addition to our cyber capabilities in the government and serving the nation writ large. You know, as we take a look at the evolution of cybersecurity, trying to make sure that we have well-coordinated activities, both proactive before there's an attack to try to limit our risk, but then what do you do when you do have an attack? You know, how do you mitigate risk and maximize resiliency? This is one of the things that is gonna really help up our game as a nation and bring together government, state, local, tribal, and territorial uh, governments and industry partners to collaboratively work on the plans to help prevent attacks and then in the event that there is an attack, it'll add uh, velocity and precision in any of our responses. The CISA director, Jen Easterly, has said that this will allow us to be proactive, you just use that word, rather than reactive. That, of course, is the goal when dealing with the possibility of cyber attacks. But how specifically does this allow federal agencies and industry partners to be proactive? Well, uh, I think Jen is absolutely spot on from the standpoint of being proactive. And, you know, this will bring together as part of the planning process in a deliberative manner, the um, making sure that in the plans we are citing best practices, such as what organizations like uh, SEI and the CERT uh, provide across uh, government and industry, you know, and also all the different lessons learned. And one of the themes that we've had in DHS uh, for since its inception is if you see something, you should say something. So by bringing this collaborative effort together, we're going to facilitate greater information sharing, 
better deliberative planning and more proactive measures to make sure that we are implementing best practices, both in government as well as in the private sector. So then what gaps do you see in the JCDC and what do you think CISA leaders can do to close those gaps? Well, there's with any new nascent program, there's going to be the challenges of setting up the infrastructure, making sure that you get the cadence in, in place. And then further, setting up the formats so that everybody has an understandable methodology of looking at the plans and making them actionable in their different organizations. But there's some really good work that's already been done in the military. The military's uh, been doing planning for thousands of years and has uh, kind of put a fine point on it. So I, I anticipate that we're going to see a lot of basic work is going to come around a framework of the deliberate planning process that the military has uh, been working on for many, many years. But then also, there's been some great work in industry on deliberate planning, such as the uh, playbooks in the financial services sector. And I think that that's going to inform this as well. So I think the first major hurdle is putting together the framework on how are we going to do that deliberate planning and what type of formats are we going to use. General, I have to ask, why hasn't there been this effective interagency planning for cyber defense before? Cyber attacks have been with us for a very long time. Well, there's been plenty of opportunities and there's been plenty of uh, starts and stops along the way. But one of the big impediments was the lack of legislative authority for some organization uh, to bring it all together and to take the lead. Um, under the National Defense Authorization Act, we see CISA uh, being labeled as that team that is going to organize and bring this together as an interagency, but also uh, a collaborative effort across industry, bringing it all together, state, local, tribal, territorial governments. And this legislative mandate that uh, has been put out is really the forcing function to get to where we've always wanted to be. So I'm very enthusiastic about it. What are your thoughts on how CISA can effectively measure this coordination and collaboration? You know, they can collect cyber data, but how about measuring the results and the impact? I think that's going to be a difficult challenge for them, but I think they're up to the task. And I think as you take a look at uh, doing this type of uh, planning process, you got to start small, think big and scale fast. I don't think uh, they should be focusing on quantity of plans, but rather on the quality of the plans. And the, the measurement on how good those plans are will be seen through such things as uh, cyber exercises, making sure that we have in fact the plans exercised and uh, things like CyberStorm and some of the other cyber exercises, such as the Hamilton series of cyber exercises with Treasury, all of these come into play. And by measuring the effectiveness of the plans in the exercise process, we'll see refinement along the way. Well, General Tuhill, there's much more to say about this, but we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you very much, Mimi. Coming next, space as a service for the Pentagon. Straight ahead on Government Matters, a conversation with the director of the space portfolio at the Defense Innovation Unit. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News.
Welcome back. Last week, the Government Matters team attended the Navy League's Sea Air Space Conference. My colleague Alan Holmes spoke with Steve Buto, director of the Space Portfolio at the Defense Innovation Unit. Here's a look at that conversation. I'm with Steve Buto. He's the director of the Space Portfolio at the Defense Innovative Innovation Unit, at, uh, which is part of the Defense Department. Welcome, Steve. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Um, why don't we just start with, um, can you tell me what DIU does and how a space portfolio fits into that? Sure. Uh, in 2015, the Defense Innovation Unit was created by then Secretary of Defense Ash Carter with the idea that we need to accelerate the adoption of commercial technology to help transform our capabilities for the future and build and grow the national security innovation base. So we've, we've been doing that ever since and uh, quite successfully, I would say. That's great. We'll, we'll get to some of the successes here in a, in a bit. But I was reading about it, and there's something called uh, space as a service. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think, it sounds like something, software as a service. Um, the same Absolutely. initials. Yeah. And uh, if, is, is that right? Everything that the government has in space, it designs it, builds it, and has to sustain it over long periods of time, which is very costly. Commercial companies, just like your cell phone provider, they provide the equipment, they provide the service, and then we just use it, and when we don't need it anymore, we, we turn it off or go to the, the next best service available. So many of the things from imagery, communications, uh, other aspects, delivery, are all being done as a service now in space. Okay. Well. Um it makes me think about you're trying to get commercial technology rapidly into uh, the military services. Yep. You're here at uh, Sea, Air, and Space, so we can talk about the Navy. Sure. Uh, but um, I would think that you would have to have some type of cultural change. And you've been around for five years, yep. you said. Um, how difficult has that been, the challenges, and how do you mm -hmm. manage that uh, from DIU? It's, it's difficult. Uh, there's always cultural resistance, mm -hmm. but we have something in our hip pocket. About 60% of the tactical forces across all the services are between the ages of 16, uh, 18 and 24, right? Yeah. So the, and the, these are people who readily adopt new technology and use those tools smartly. So that they're really the captive audience behind a lot of the things that we work on. Okay, that, that's great. Um, can you tell me some of the, you talk about some of the successes. What, what, what are some of those that, that uh, sure. you've had? Well, you mentioned uh, uh, space as a service. So mm -hmm. we've, we've uh, before we got started, there were no U.S. companies that made synthetic aperture radar uh, satellites, small satellites. And, so, and what is that? What's a synthetic so it's, aperture it, it, radar? You can do day, night, and all-weather okay. monitoring. So right now, if you take a picture with an optical satellite, and there's clouds, you'll just see top to clouds. Radar can penetrate that weather. So now if you're the Navy and you want maritime domain awareness, and you just want to know for safety, or you want unclassified information that you can share with your allies, commercial is the best way to go. Okay, and um, so one of the things that also, uh, in, uh, inferred, uh, for decades and decades, maybe over 100 years, is that you know the Navy has a tyranny of distance. Yes. Uh, and I would imagine that a lot of the technologies help really shrink that down in some ways. Um, can are there examples of that, or can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Well, the space is the best way to tackle that tyranny of distance. Mm -hmm. And uh, and what uh, the most ambitious thing in the department today, uh, the uh, joint all domain, you know, uh, command control system, is to connect everybody globally using space as a backbone, so we can share information. And just as we uh, whether we watch TV or use our 
our phones in our pockets. We want that level of, of continuous service available to warfighters. Yeah. Have you been able to apply any of this technology to the uh, COVID pandemic in any way? Absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, this is uh, we have biometric devices. This is an Aura Ring and a, uh, a Fenix 6, a Garmin watch that are collecting bio, my biometric data constantly. We use artificial intelligence to process that data and, and the companies were able to tell us up to 96 hours in advance if you know, somebody has early onset of COVID. Wow. So for the Navy, we've actually fielded on the USS Portland this capability for all their sailors and it's integrated so the captain literally has an, a check engine light if his, yeah. uh, if his huh. sailors are, yeah. are uh, uh, becoming sick. And I would imagine, again, you mentioned, to go back, what, what you mentioned with the, the younger sailors, uh, they're probably, they're fine with this. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, as they find it pr probably pretty cool. So that the ability right. to get it to deploy this mm -hmm. has been fairly easy. Uh, but you know, it, it Absolutely. Be, well, it, it's, it's a commercial device, so it provides value. It yeah. tells me I have to work out more. But, it's like uh, a Fitbit. Yeah, it's, in yeah, a, it's yeah, just it's like, like yeah, Fitbit. Right. Yeah, so... Uh, so, and the wonderful thing is, is that it gives us information that improves our readiness and, uh, and uh, just as our satellite imagery and our communications really extend our capabilities uh, in other areas of the world. Yeah. Okay, we only have about uh, 30 seconds or sure. so left, but um, in, in any time you talk about technology, cybersecurity comes up. Mm -hmm. So, um, how do you kind of uh, think about that from a management perspective? And as you're deploying this technology, I'm sure it's probably something that's front and center, but yeah. how do you kind of um, in, in, integrate all the cybersecurity uh, applications in this technology? Cybersecurity is, is as an evolutionary capability, right? So it, it can't be static. It, it's, it's agile. It, and uh, and the, our industry is the best in the world in, in cybersecurity. So we need to leverage that commercial capability coupled with our great government capabilities to really protect the nation and all of our information. So uh, cybersecurity and trust, just like your bank, uh, yeah. you want uh, you want to know that when you go to sleep at night, your money is in, in an account the next day. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you so much for, for being with us. It's really interesting. I appreciate well, thank it. You. And thank you. And thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. Up next, empty seats for a number of federal leadership jobs. Coming up on Government Matters, why filling those seats could lead to an entire process reform. We archive every episode of Government Matters on govmatters.tv. I'll be right back. At his 20th day in office, President Biden has submitted 389 nominations that require Senate confirmation. That still leaves a number of important positions, including Director for the Office of Management and Budget, vacant. Max Steyer is President and CEO of the Partnership for Public Service. Max, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me here. So your organization has been tracking nominations and confirmations. President Biden's 200th day in office was on Monday. How's he doing with respect to filling those positions? So the answer is that uh, relative to past presidents, he's pretty much on par. Uh, certainly on the nomination side, he is uh, in the same ballpark as prior presidents have been ahead of uh, uh, former President Trump, but um, in the same ballpark as uh, Presidents Obama and Bush. Um, but when it comes to confirmation, uh, there are fewer of those that he has. Um, and that's what is comparing to, to the near past. The reality is comparing to what has to be done, 
um, you know, President Bush has a very, very long ways to go, as has all other presidents at this stage in their administration, because we have a system that is frankly just not working. Well, Max, what's the holdup? Is the problem on the Senate side or the administration side? So the answer is it's ultimately all the above. Uh, the reality is you have 1,200 uh, Senate confirmed positions and the Senate is really too small of a pipe to be able to manage uh, all that throughput. And as I indicated earlier, um, no modern president has actually had their team on the field um, when the game started. Uh, it's really very, very uh, concerning in a world in which there's so many different threats um, that it takes so long, no matter how hard you work at it, to actually get your team and uh, on the field um, at, at the at the moment in which the game begins on January 20th. So um, you know, you think about it. Uh, presidents have typically taken well over a year to get their core leadership team in place, and you see um, in prior administrations, you know, upwards of uh, almost you know 40% of the full Senate conf uh, confirmed positions not even seeing nominees for two years. It's a, it's a broken system that there's really not enough attention being paid to. Well, I want to ask you about the system and your recommendations for it, but before, can you give us some examples of key positions that still need nominees? Well, you, you led off, I think, with probably the most prominent example of that is the you know, director of the Office of Management and Budget. You know, OMB is the nerve center of our government. We have very, very little in the way of central enterprise function in our government, OMB is it. It's the main main place to be, and we don't still have an OMB director. You know, obviously there are other positions like the uh, commissioner of the FDA in today's world, which are obviously mm -hmm. vital. But <clears throat> the reality is that all of these jobs are very important, and we are missing uh, many of them. We really have just a, a small number that you actually have confirmed leadership in place, and none of us should find that acceptable. And and tons of uh, ambassadorships as well. Max, how do these vacancies impact agency missions and the workforce? Well, to be very clear, like the workforce is mission committed and they're doing their very best. And the people who are in the acting roles, um, they are typically extremely capable individuals. For me, the metaphor is the substitute teacher. We've all had substitute teachers in our lives and they could be amazing educators. The challenge though is that um, they know that they're there day to day. They're not going to take on the long-term problems. Um, they're not going to take on the big problems. And just to you know, be very frank about it, they get no respect. Uh, and so that's a little bit of what we have right now. Many, many people who are trying their best, who may be very, very capable, but they're positionally limited in what they can do because they're in an acting role. And what that fundamentally means is that the big challenging problems don't get addressed in the way that they need to. And you see it in all corners of our government. You mentioned ambassadors. Certainly that's true with respect to foreign policy. You hear lots of other countries talking about not having the right counterparties to deal with. They're gonna be less willing to invest in relationships with people that they don't see as long-term leaders. Uh, and that's true domestically as well, whether it's the COVID response, the economic revitalization we need, the uh, climate issues, the racial equity issues. I mean, we have a host of problems. We need the very best from our government and then we need the best leaders who are in place in order to be able to deal with all those problems. So Max, let's talk about your recommendations then. You talked about the system is broken. How can the political appointment system be better streamlined and reformed? 
So uh, again, the response is pretty pretty easy in terms of what you, you need to do conceptually. Uh, and that is reduce the number of Senate confirmed positions. You have 1,200 of them, that's way too many. Um, we saw actually an important effort in 2011 uh, to reduce the number of Senate confirmed positions. And they actually, the Congress did that, reduced by about 160 some odd positions. I would describe that as a slice of bread, not, not, not the loaf or half a loaf. Um, and we need to do it again, but we need to do it in a, in a much more aggressive manner. And I think that uh, we've issued a report that lays out an approach that makes sense. Certainly, um, you know, we believe that many of those positions could be career positions. An example of that would be, you know, what's going on at the Department of Energy, where uh, the leadership for their cyber position for ensuring safety in our energy infrastructure, the secretary there wants to make sure that is a career position. When you need continuity of attention, when you have management positions, you should have career leadership. Um, it's quite interesting to look at positions like uh, CIOs or um, you know the heads of legislative affairs or public affairs. There's a lot of variety across the government as to whether or not they're Senate confirmed or not. In our view, none of them have to be Senate confirmed. Uh, so one answer would be convert some of them to career positions, some to political non-Senate confirmed positions, especially where they have uh, um, leaders of them that are actually Senate confirmed. Um, many of these positions are part-time boards. Uh, they could actually be brought into individual agencies appointed by the secretary as opposed to by the president. Um, but we lay all this out. I mean, the reality is we should be able to cut more than half of those positions. And I can't resist saying we need fewer Senate confirmed positions. We also need fewer overall political positions. We have 4,000 of those, and that also creates its own set of issues. All right, Maxwell, we'll continue to watch those appointments and confirmations as they move through the system. Thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's at govmatters.tv. And we want to hear from you what you think of the program or any of the topics we discuss. Find us on social media and send us your comments. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'll be back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on 7 News to stay plugged in on the issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Mimi Gerges. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Katherine Roloff and Drew Friedman. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Our director of content is Alan Holmes. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.